So just before Isaac comes up, I'll give you the Bible reading. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his eyes are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of God. The kids, now it's your turn. Uh, first non-rhetorical question. This is going to be a hands-up one. It's an A or B choice. Uh, during the service, who reads from a paper Bible or who looks on the screen and does it on their phone? So hands up for paper Bible. Hands up for on the screen. Thank you, tech guys. Um, that's, that's just the warm-up. That's to get you ready. Uh, let's pray. 1 Peter 4.11 is our prayer. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Together we say, Amen. Amen. We've read from the Bible, so welcome to week six of North Pine Baptist's Be Authentic series through 1 Peter. 1 Peter has been calling us to examine our lives, our beliefs, our conduct. 1 Peter is an assessment tool for the authenticity of our faith. So remember back over the last six weeks, 
What do you see God transforming in you to make your life more authentic? In Extreme and Unleashed, the youth groups over the last term, we reintroduced small groups. So each week we gather together a smaller number of youth with their leader and they connect as a group and they've been exploring Christianity. We've been doing the Christianity Explored course. And as we do, we've got a bit of feedback from some of our youth. And one of them in particular, I love what he said. He said it turned the talk from being a monologue into a conversation. And a conversation that I get to be involved in. Now, I find I'm a much better listener in a conversation than I am in a monologue. So, we're going to talk about 1 Peter together. Again, non-rhetorical. This is, we're going to have audience participation. So, turn to the person around you. You'll need at least a pair. You're not going to have much time, so cut to the chase. It is the question we asked before. What do you see God transforming in you to make your life more authentic? Go. You've got about, about 30 seconds each. What do you see God transforming in you to make your faith more authentic? Okay, now's a good time for your other partner to share. Okay, I'll pause you there. You'll warm up to it. It'll be okay. It can be easy to come week after week, hear a sermon, and never actually check, never share what God has actually been doing in your life. And I hope that as you reflected over the last few weeks, particularly over our last five weeks in 1 Peter, that you begin to get a sense that Peter is moving in a direction. He's been applying how trusting in Jesus, particularly in chapter 3, impacts us and all our relationships. So in today's passage, Peter reminds us of how authentic Christians are to relate to other people. Christians are called to honour Christ the Lord as holy, even if this means suffering for righteousness. In practice, this means people who trust in Jesus do good for others, no matter how they are treated. This is authentic Christian practice. Relating this way to others honours the Lord as holy. But two quick points of clarification. Firstly, doing good for others, especially when it is an enemy, is a product of faith, not a purchase of faith. 
We are saved for good works, but not by them. And secondly, doing good for others, especially those who are causing you suffering, is a complex action. It requires wisdom from God and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. What God declares good and loving can be very different to what an enemy or ourselves wants. Much in life is complex, all the more reason we need God's help. And we need to hear what God is saying from his word. So turn to verse 8. Verse 8 reminds us of the attitude all Christians are to have when relating to others. I'll read it for you. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Throughout the Bible, we get these glimpses into authentic Christianity at its best. Unity, sympathy, love, tenderness, humility. These are relational attitudes focused on doing good for others. And when I think about it, these relationship characteristics, these attitudes, it sounds like heaven. And indeed, for those who trust in Jesus, this is part of the inheritance that we look forward to, a world defined by unity, love, and tenderness. But this is not just the future we look forward to. This is what we're called to be now. Bring this foretaste of eternity into life today. Verse 9, Peter cuts to the point. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this too you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. You know, sometimes the relational standards that we celebrate can be so low compared to God's. A car blasts their horn at you on the way home. I didn't honk back. I didn't repay evil for evil. That gossiper tears down another person that you had the dirt on. And you didn't share it. The blokes at work, they complain about their wives and you were silent. Responding to evil and insult with neutrality is less than God's standard. How people treat you does not change how God calls you to treat them. God calls you to respond with blessing, to bring them before God, seeking God's favor on their lives, asking God to do good for them, and perhaps the harder point, and through you. I love the example of Stephen in Acts 7. Stephen was following, he was doing Simon Says really well. He was following in the footsteps of Jesus, honoring Jesus as holy above everything else, even his own life. Evil was spoken and done to Stephen. Yet, even as the rocks were being hurled at his body, he prayed. Firstly, for the Lord to receive his spirit, Jesus mattered most. And secondly, knocked down to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, 
Lord, do not hold their sin against them. If you're not familiar with Stephen's story, have a read of Acts 7 this week. Keep reading until you get to Acts 9 because you will see how powerfully Jesus answered Stephen's prayer. The apostle Paul stood by, not as a friend but as a zealot, helping the crowd kill him. Can you hear Stephen's prayer ringing in the ears of Paul? What a blessing from Stephen to Paul. Evil. Paul took Stephen's life, repaid with blessing. Stephen prayed to Jesus with his dying breath for Paul's life. Paul, as he was on his way uh, to Damascus to kill more people, he didn't stand a chance. Jesus had a prayer of blessing to answer, and in Acts 9, we see it answered powerfully. Paul is converted. Peter is applying how trusting in, in Jesus impacts us and all our relationships. God's standard for how we, to relate, how we are to relate to other people is high. Christians are called to bless, to do good for people, even those who cause them suffering. But this way of life comes with a blessing. More of that in a moment. I have another question for you. What is the worst trade you have ever made? What is the worst trade you have ever made? Go, tell the person next to you. Okay, I'll call you back together. If there's half a story you didn't hear the end of, continue that conversation later over lunch together. Uh, I knew two sisters. Uh, the older sister would trade her girly pink $5 notes uh, for her younger sister's boy blue $10 notes. Uh, that's a pretty bad trade, but well played. You might have heard of some pretty bad trades going on. But have you ever considered that we trade our relationship with God for so little in return? They're the worst trades I've ever made. A nicer house. A little more status at work. A bit more money, that little bit more comfort, Netflix, scrolling through social media. We fear that we will miss out 
on what can be good gifts from God. So we idolize them. We place so little value on our relationship with God that we don't protect. We sell it out so cheaply. We try and use evil as a shortcut for our happiness. We don't approach God with the fear he deserves. Look again at verses 10 to 12. They're a quote from Psalm 34, another great psalm to look up. Peter reminds us that loving life and good days are not gained from evil and deceit. Pursue evil, you are pursuing God against you. Do good, seek and pursue peace in the fear of the Lord, and God is for you. He is listening. And this divine perspective, it's so vital. We need it to shape how we understand a world that is more about appearances than truth. Our culture, it is obsessed with presenting highlights without the balance of the reality of the lowlights. Evil appears to prosper in the immediate. Good looks like the loser. But here is how I look at it. And I think this is Peter's perspective as well. Anything, anyone who has God against them has already lost. The Lord is against those who do evil. It's the end of verse 12. God's patience is their opportunity, their last lifeline to repent. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Have you been tempted to do evil as a shortcut? Repent. Make a trade that is incredibly in your favor. Trade in doing evil for doing good. Trade in your way of life for relationship with God. Whatever it costs you to do good, any trade that gets you closer to God is worth it. Blessing those who cause you to suffer is a good worth it when the blessing you receive for this is intimacy with God. I love the words of Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 1 Peter is a call to realize the value of a right relationship with God. So what are you willing to trade for intimacy with God? Or to flip it, what have you already traded instead of intimacy with God? Is that, whatever it is, really that valuable? Peter is declaring that the way we treat others impacts the closeness of our relationship with God. Now think about this on, a, on an everyday level. Ignore God, ignore living as God commands. Don't be surprised that God feels distant. But seek God, follow God's command, call out to God independent prayer and expect to experience God close up. 
I encourage you, rediscover the relational value of prayer. Too often we treat prayer like a transaction. God, here is my shopping list. Get on it. Amen. But prayer is an amazing place for intimacy with God. And let it blow your mind that God is watching and listening. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. Prayer was Stephen's safe place of refuge with God during his final suffering. And I think drawing our attention to prayer is part of Peter's strategy as he prepares us to be willing to suffer. Verses 13 to 17 reveal more of Peter's strategy. I find it helpful how the CEV Bible translates it from verse 4 onwards. Even if you are to suffer for doing good things, God will bless you. So stop being afraid. Don't worry about what people might do. Honor Christ and let him be the Lord of your life. Suffering for the right or righteous reasons is an opportunity to commit to a deeper, more intimate, more dependent relationship with God. Embrace this blessing. Let it motivate you. I did some research this week. Our fans will suffer crazy costs for just moments with their celebrity idol. Here's some price tags. A photo with Jennifer Lopez would set you back $800. A meet and greet packages for Kiss sold out at $1,500 a ticket. Uh, Lady Gaga, likewise, $1,500. A meet and greet with Kylie Minogue, including a photo. Uh, and you would also get an exclusive London, London show, $1,700. Uh, for a mere $7,250, you get your own private dressing room with your name on it, and a, rare, uh, and a meet and greet with uh, Demi Levito. But topping the list, a rare Madonna meet and greet it was for charity. Uh, you and your four friends would just pay a casual $200,000. Anyone got a spare 40 grand and five equally crazy friends? Fans will suffer crazy costs to pretend that they have some form of relationship with their celebrity idol. They value their idol. What value do you place on God? The higher you value your relationship with God, the more it makes sense to be willing to suffer for righteousness. Stephen did. Peter, who wrote this, would. Don't let me romanticize this. Suffering for righteousness is an ugly display of the evil in this world. Suffering for righteousness is costly, ugly, and painful, but intimate relationship with God is the blessing that we can receive. An intimate relationship with God is a blessing that we can share. Question time again. Fight or flight, when faced with conflict, 
are you more likely to fight or flight? Uh, this is going to be hands up one again. Hands up for fight. Who's a fighter? Who is a flight? Who's a runaway from conflict kind of guy or girl? Someone's already out the door, so no. Uh, when following Jesus as Lord means suffering, Peter is calling us neither to flight or fight. Don't run away. This is an opportunity to honor Jesus as holy. And don't fight. That would spoil the opportunity. This is an opportunity to honor Jesus as holy. Christians who are willing to suffer for righteousness, they're a powerful advertisement for Christianity. What you're doing makes no sense to the people of the world. So they're going to ask for an explanation. Don't fight. Don't flight. Wait and listen for the questions about the hope that you have. If you're choosing suffering, someone is wondering why. Be an eager listener. For their questions. Then it tells us, with gentleness and respect, share the hope that we have in Jesus. Share the beliefs that inspire your practice. Share that you are suffering because this is what Jesus did for you and for them. And I want to stress, answer their questions. Don't defend your own insecurities or just focus on those bits of Christianity that you're comfortable with, that five, point, five steps to salvation or whatever you have. Answer their questions. Listen, listen for people's questions because your response to them impacts. I took this story that took it from another person, so it's a good story to share, uh, from Spiritual Disciplines. For the Christian life. It tells this story. I heard a story of a man who became a Christian during an evangelistic campaign in a city in the Pacific Northwest. When the man told his bo boss about it, his employer responded, that is great. I'm a Christian. I've been praying for you for years. But the new believer was chestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? You were the very reason I have not been interested in the gospel all these years. How can that be, the boss wondered. I've done my very best to live the Christian life around you. That's the point, explained the employee. You live such a model life without telling me it was Christ who made the difference that I convinced myself that if you could live such a happy and good life without Christ, then I could too. Following Jesus causes questions that you need to be sensitive to hearing, perhaps even if they're unspoken. And what you tell people or fail to tell people impacts. Peter warns you, 
Not everyone is going to respond well. Follow Jesus, Peter says, prepare. Because it's not if, it's when you are slandered. It's when people revile your good behavior. You can have a clear conscience. You can, be, you can endure with gentle and respectful confidence. God can be trusted. And Peter points us in verse 18 to how God used Jesus' suffering once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, reminding us that Jesus brought us to God. Your suffering has the potential to point people to a life-transforming power, the life-transforming power of Jesus' suffering, of the blessing, of the opportunity for intimate, eternal relationship with God. Please don't undervalue the power and potential of your sufferings. Finally, verses 18 to 22. We're going to tackle them from this angle. What is the story of your baptism? So, find someone who's baptized, ask them this question, what is the story of your baptism? We've got some time, go. Okay. I was very tempted to just like put away the mic, come join you, and that can be the rest of the sermon. Um, but more on that later. In verses 18 to 22, Peter draws our minds back to the salvation of God's chosen people. Eight members of Noah's family um, were saved. And Genesis 6 describes the world that they were saved from. In verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. 
The world was so far from honouring God as holy that God declared that there would be a limit to the wickedness. In Genesis 6, 8, it tells us that Noah found favour, which is grace, grace in the eyes of the Lord. Note, grace first, and then we are told Noah was righteous. Through the waters of judgment, God cleansed the world and brought his chosen people safely through the water. And in verses 19 to 20, we're told some interesting points. Jesus, after his death, but when he was alive in the spirit, went and preached to spirits in prison who formerly did not obey at some point during Noah's time. I don't have any further comment than to accept the text at face value. Honour Jesus as Lord. He may not fit into some neat theological boxes that you have made. So God graciously, patiently saves his chosen people in the times of Noah. And baptism reminds us. Peter corresponds baptism with this same truth. Now, baptism is not about physical removal of dirt. A bath or a shower will do that. Baptism is a symbol given to us by God to remind us of salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is an invitation to participate in God's salvation, to identify with it. In baptism, we declare that we deserve the same judgment and death our wickeds, for our wickedness as the people did in the time of Noah. Sin is serious. Saving is needed. We declare that we die to our old way of life and that we depend on God. We appeal to God through Jesus for a good conscience, a new heart. We declare that Jesus is Lord, gone to heaven with full power at the right hand of God. Jesus is our refuge, our ark from God's righteous coming judgment. And baptism is a gift to help you live out your salvation. It's not a divine and slightly wet insurance policy. Baptism is a gift to help point you to the salvation that is only found through the resurrected Jesus Christ. I love that God gives us touchable expressions of faith in communion and in baptism. Every Sunday, and in fact every day, we can declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. But there's an impact, a milestone moment to look back on about baptism. For me, uh, the rather cold winter morning, which I was dunked in the local lake, it's okay to get baptised in winter in Queensland. A <laughs> little colder in Victoria, but still worth it was my way of telling and participating in God's story of salvation. For those who have been baptised, remember to tell your story. Remember that it's a story about Jesus, though. And for those who haven't been baptised, now is a good time to participate in God's story of salvation.
Grab the person that you were just talking to who has been baptized and ask them to prepare you to declare your faith through baptism. Today we have begun a conversation. Let me remind you of a few key points. What do you see God transforming in you to make your life more authentic? In some points, this is the whole purpose of 1 Peter. Christians are called to honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, even if this means suffering for righteousness. And in practice, this means people who trust in Jesus do good for others, no matter how they are treated. What is the worst trade you have ever made? Intimate relationship with God is not worth trading for anything. And it is a blessing that we can share. So fight, flight, or will you bless? And what is the story of your baptism? Now what I ask of you is simple. We've begun a conversation. Continue it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful that you can be our Lord. We are grateful that you suffered much so that we could be forever with you. Help us, Lord, to continue this conversation around your word as we head out uh, to our week. And Lord, may we put it into practice through the strength that you provide. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.